welcome to I Read a Book Once, a podcast where I talk about books. My name's Emma, and today we're going to be talking about Ties That Tether by Jane Igaro. First of all, I want to say I'm in the closet again recording because the audio is much better. So from now on, I'll probably be coming to you not live, but my audio from the closet. So that's fun. Also, I'm very proud of myself because if you listen to my Star Daughter episode, my God, I get so nervous. I had to climb over a chair to get into the closet, so I'm low-key out of breath. <sighs> so sorry about that. Let me let me take a little breathing moment. Center myself. I don't know why I get nervous. None of you are here. None of you are listening to me. I can just delete things. That sounds stupid, but whatever. Also, it gets really hot in my closet, so last episode was only, or I guess the last episode was the Harley Merlin special, which I actually recorded before all those other episodes, but I wanted to do Harley Merlin over Halloween because it's fun Halloween-ish, but now we're in November. Okay, so Ties That Tether was my October book of the month. I actually got three books this month, but this was my original one that I picked, and then I did two add-ons, which you'll hear about in the future, probably another one in November, and then the other one probably not until December because I've got some special things in the works for you guys, and I'm really excited, but I also have like a billion books on my shelf, which is so funny because I was rereading like crazy at the beginning of quarantine, and now all of a sudden that I've started this podcast, I have so many books to read, so that's fun for me, I guess. Anyways, what I was saying before is I'm really proud of myself because this time I did my research beforehand, unlike on the Star Daughter episode. And I learned how to say Jane Igaro's last name and how to say our main character's name, Azere. So, what is this book about? Let's dive into it. And as always, there will be spoilers. So, if you don't want Ties That Tether to be spoiled, go read it and then come back and listen to this episode. I promise that book will not disappoint. It was fabulous. It is one of the best books I've read recently. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So, let's get into it. Book of the Month has this categorized as a contemporary fiction. I personally thought of it more as a romance book, so this is definitely going to be more of a romance episode. However, it's technically categorized as contemporary fiction, which I can see why, because while romance is part of the central plot, there's also a lot of other stuff that goes into the story that makes it more than just a typical romance. There's a lot more kind of going on, which I think that a lot of... uh, romance stories that I've been reading recently aren't just like boy meets girl and they fall in love the end they also deal with really important topics which is something I like to see in my romance novels because while I love some good old romance I also love some substance I like to see the character growth I like them to deal with difficult issues and topics so this novel specifically is about Azere who is a Nigerian immigrant. Her family moves to Canada when she is 12 years old after her father passes away from cancer, I believe. So her, her mom, and her younger sister move to Canada to live with her father's brother and his son. And then they all kind of become a family and get really close. And she thinks of her uncle and her cousin as a father and a brother, which she says. So basically what happens is when she's 12, right before her father dies, she makes him a promise that she will marry a Nigerian man, particularly of Edo descent. So if you're not very familiar with Nigeria or Africa in general, so basically what happened is Europeans said, yo, Africa, we want all your land and we don't care that you have your cultural tribes and stuff like that all set up. 
we are just going to carve out countries how we see fit and make you all live together. So basically in Nigeria, there's three different kind of cultural groups, which is the Edo, the Igbo, and man, I said I did my research, but I can't remember the third one. I'm going to look it up. Okay, so apparently I'm dumb because Edo is not one of the three main groups, although there are three main groups. They are the Yoruba, the Hausa, and Igbo. So I did get Igbo right. So anyway, she promises her dad that she'll marry a good Nigerian man of Edo descent. So that She makes that promise when she's 12, and obviously she doesn't really, when you're 12, you don't understand what promise you're making. And I think that's definitely something I want to talk about later. But right now, we're in the book summary, and I'm trying to not make it too long. And also, I'm recording this, I finished this book on Tuesday, it's now Saturday, so like five days later. Did I finish this book on Tuesday? Maybe I finished it on Monday. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyways, here we go. So the book picks up with her mom setting her up on a really awful blind date with a Nigerian Edo man. And he sucks. He's sexist. He, he's, he's basically like, can you cook? Will you give me children? And she's like, I gotta go. And this date's in a hotel restaurant. So she goes across the lobby into the bar and she's drinking. And then this white man, Raphael, shows up. And he's actually, we later learn, um, his family is from Spain, and I don't remember if it was his parents or his grandparents who had immigrated. Well, his grandma still lives in Spain, so probably his parents are Spanish immigrants. So the two of them actually have that in common of, like, Rafael was born in Canada, but very still close to his Spanish roots and whatever. Anyways, so she meets him, and the two of them hit it off immediately. You can feel that connection. You just, ooh, you could feel it. I was there for it. And they end up having a one-night stand, and she ends up leaving before he wakes up. And we flash forward to a month. This That's one thing about this book. There was a lot of flash-forwarding. So if you like your book to be all in a row, like, happening all at once, this wasn't really like that. It was kind of like some things are happening in this, in this month, and then we're two months later, and then we're three months later. You're here as I talk. I didn't mind it because it was really important for the story for it to be written like that, and I thought it was written well and not weird and choppy and jumpy but anyways so we flash forward a month and she's sitting in her work meeting uh i believe she's a graphic designer she works for a marketing company maybe she's not graphic design but she just she works for a marketing company and her boss is like hey we just hired somebody here he is it's Raphael, who we had known was in toronto for a job interview but we didn't know what it was for so now they're co-workers and also azare okay also though sidebar I spent literally probably 15 minutes figuring out how to say her name properly another thing that I really liked is that immediately in the first or second chapter when she meets Raphael it must have been the first chapter she says how to pronounce her name it says a-z-e-r-e so I knew it wasn't Azare because that's not right so in my mind I'm saying Azare and then I went and googled it and found a podcast episode where the author was interviewed so I could get it right because it was very important to me that I say their names correctly because I'm trying I think that's just a very important part of when you're reading books from diverse authors is you're not just Anglicanizing whatever you're you're really trying to get the culture and make sure you're saying the names right because I know that's very important anyways so she's also like they're co-workers and this man is wanting to date her and she's like no I can't because she's made the promise she's gonna marry a Nigerian man so she can't be with a white man but then, low-key, turns out she's pregnant with his child, which, oh shoot, also trigger warning. Um, I never would have thought of this as a trigger warning necessarily until I heard somebody talking about it one time, 
but there is a traumatic birth experience that happens at the end of the book. So that's definitely a spoiler, except for the fact you find out she's pregnant in the beginning. But if that I just want you to know that the birth experience was definitely kind of traumatic, and so that is my trigger warning for this book. Okay, anyway, so she finds out she's pregnant, but she doesn't really tell anybody at first, and she doesn't, like, know for sure that she's pregnant until probably 80 to 100 pages in the book, but she definitely suspects it. She goes home for a dinner after her and Raphael are like, okay, we'll just be friends, and her mom is trying to set her up again, and this time she set her up with Elijah, who is the man she lost her virginity to at church camp when she was about 19. And he was a couple years older than her and going off to med school. And he just disappeared and didn't say anything to her for, I think, a month. And she was, like, in love with him. And he just left her the night after, or the day after they uh, had sex for the first time. And so she wants nothing to do with him. She does not want to get back together with him because of how he treated her. But her mom doesn't know that the two of them were together when they were younger because it was all secret hush-hush stuff like that. So she kicks him out and her mom's like, why do you do this? Don't you want to honor your family and your promise to your father, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so then this is what happens next. I'm skipping over some stuff to kind of give you the condensed version of what happens. So her and Raphael have to work on a pitch together at work, which is how they decide, okay, we'll be friends. But they're not really, that's not really what they want, right? They're both really into each other. And Raphael convinces Azere to give him a chance. And they go out on a date. They come back. They end up sleeping together. And he's like, this is not a one night thing. Like, this is whatever. This is like real. This is, we're going to keep going from here. And she agrees, even though she's really nervous because of her mom and the fact that she's pregnant. And at this point, she knows she's pregnant, but she doesn't know what to say to him. And then the next morning, she wakes up and she's puking. And he's like, oh my God, you're sick let me stay and take care of you. And she's like, no, go. I have to go mow my mom's lawn. Well, he ends up showing up at her mom's house and mowing the lawn. And that is obviously danger. That's like some danger zone stuff. So she shows up and tries to um, basically be like, you need to leave because her whole family thinks that she's hired a gardener, but that's not what happens. And then I can't remember. I think she passes out or something like that. And they bring her to the hospital and she has to tell her whole family. Oh, and Elijah's there too, because this man just keeps showing up. And love triangles, I hate, especially when I get tricked into reading them in this book specifically, because I did not know there would be a love triangle. I also did not know she would be pregnant because that was not clear. Not that I really cared. I mean, it was important for the storyline, but whatever. And so she tells everybody that she's pregnant and that it's Raphael's kid. And he's a little bit like, bruh, why didn't you tell me? But also, I'm here for you. We're going to do this, whatever. And her mom is not happy. And they basically have this showdown the next day where she says, you can't be with Raphael if you do. You're no longer my daughter and I will disown you. You should just marry Elijah and we can pretend that this child is his. And Azari says, no, I'm going to be with Raphael. And her mom does legit disown her. And over the course of the next five months, so I'm skipping over some stuff, but for five months, her mom does not talk to her. Like, no communication, nothing. It was crazy. I can't even imagine. And so then Azari and Raphael go along and they're having their relationship. And then there's every like 10 or so chapters, there's a chapter from Raphael's point of view, which I personally don't like, like, I don't mind multiple point of view books, but I, I understand why Raphael needed to have some 
perspective. I actually really like dual perspective in romance novels because you can see the mutual pining, which we love mutual pining. But I don't like when it's just every so often or just one time. Like, I really hate when it's like you get the one time unknown's point of view when you're in like a suspense, like a romantic suspense or something like that, which this wasn't. But I would have preferred to see more of his point of view or none of his point of view, but that's besides the point irrelevant. That's just how I personally felt. But when we're seeing his point of view, you know that something really tragic has happened in his past and somebody, a woman has died, but you're not quite sure who it is. And Azaria is also getting these vibes that he's keeping secrets from her, but she has no idea what they are either. And so then we enter the middle of the book, the angsty part, which I love a good angst. We're going to talk about this later because that's a little known fact about me. But anyway, so she is feeling like she can't trust him because he won't talk at all. He used to live in New York and he won't talk at all about living in New York. He, She one time found a picture of a beautiful woman and he won't tell her who it is. They One time they were shopping for a crib and baby stuff and they run into these two um, adults that are their parents' age and he knows them very well and they're having this conversation but he won't tell her who they are to him really and it was really weird and then eventually her friend her best friend Christina throws a baby shower and her also important and her best friend Christina is um half Nigerian half Italian which is important for later on in the book and so the throws a baby shower even though she says she doesn't want one because she knows her mom won't come and she finally meets Raphael's family and the mom his mom gives this whole speech about how the baby's going to be a true Spaniard or whatever. And that sets her off and makes her really sad because her mom says, how much of your culture, your Nigerian culture, are you going to give up when you have this baby with the white man, like all this different stuff. And she's like, will my baby even know anything about Nigeria? And then um, we flash forward some more and she goes to meet the rest of his family because she's just met the mom and sisters so now meeting dad and brother. And there's sitting there having dinner and they have an argument over if their baby's going to have a Spanish name or a Nigerian name. And then the brother drops a bomb that Raphael used to be married. That's right. This lady was his wife who died. But also, I can't remember if we know exactly what's going on, but we're just like, what do you mean you were married? And she just didn't know and you've been together for five or six months or something like this at this point. So then they go back to Azari's apartment and she breaks up with him. And it's not just because of the secrets, but she wants her mom back in her life. And her mom has basically said, if you don't break up with him, I will never speak to you again. And she's missed him or missed her so much during this. So they break up and he's trying to work it out, but she's like, no, let's break up. And then her mom allows her to come back in the life in her life but says you need to date Elijah and so Raphael walks in on Elijah being at the work at their like office one time and uh, Azari goes on one or two dates with Elijah because he's been hardcore pursuing her and she's like no but she goes on these dates and is very miserable and I think they have broken up for about a month and then Christina says screw this I'm taking you to my parents like she kind of takes her on a baby moon or it might have been like around Christmas or something like that. And so they go to her parents' cabin and her parents are there and Azari talks with Christina's mom and dad and uh, about kind of like what it's like to be in an interracial relationship and what it was like because I believe Christina's mom is the one who's Nigerian 
and uh, her family also kind of didn't speak to her for a long time and all that and she realizes I can't be with Raphael I love him I don't like Elijah I need to stand up to my mom whatever blah 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 and uh, she goes to Elijah or not Elijah goes to Raphael like he's like not wanting to hear it so she leaves and goes to her house like her mom's house where she finds her mom and her uncle together which that was a uh, wild and crazy and then basically she yells at her mom and finally stands up for herself and says I'm going to be with who I want to be with how dare you make me make a promise at 12 an age I don't understand what I'm promising to be with some promise to be with a Nigerian Edo man all this different stuff and then Raphael shows up no she goes back to her apartment Raphael shows up they're making up and having a conversation about whatever and then she in the middle of them like making up and whatever they like look down and she's bleeding and at this point I think she's eight or nine months pregnant she's very pregnant this is where I was talking about the trigger warning so they bring her to the hospital the baby ends up being fine but then she has some complications and needs surgery or something but she is fine everybody don't worry and um they end up naming the baby Hope and her mom ends up kind of being like I'm sorry I love you I want to be in your life blah 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 and then the epilogue is five years later and she's pregnant again and they're together and they've got little hope their daughter and it shows that hope is still getting that Nigerian culture so Azari did not have to give up her culture to be with Raphael and that was the story this book was only about just over 300 pages if you've ever had a book the month book you'll know that they are longer and wider than a normal book so the pages are bigger so if you were to get like a normal paperback version of this book it'd probably be a little bit longer than 300 pages but um my book this was one this was a very short book and I read it so fast I don't know if you could hear it but I snapped everybody I did a snap because I read it really really quickly and now I'm talking really quickly so I'm gonna slow down anyways I could not put this book down I read probably the first 60 or 70 pages the first night and then the next day at work I was really slow so I was reading during work and I read another 150 pages and then at that point there was only 70 or 80 pages left so I finished it that night so I guess I did finish it on Monday night and I read the whole book in two days because it was just so good like I said one of the best books that I have read in a long time And there's a lot of different reasons for why I really enjoyed this book. The first is that the romance I thought was really good. Like I said when I was doing my like the summary, you could feel the chemistry immediately, which I think is a very important part of a good romance book. Even a good romance subplot. Like I talked about in the Star Daughter and in the Kit Sweetly episode, like you don't feel the romantic tension you don't feel the chemistry between the two characters that the romance is and that was a subplot in both of those but this is more of a ma- the romance is more of a main plot that's going on in this book and so it's really really important that you feel that chemistry otherwise the book it feels it drags on it feels like it's for nothing right no this chemistry was it was really really good you could really feel it i felt it literally immediately from the first time they were introduced and not just because the author says and they had great chemistry. You know when an author is just like, oh my god, I'm so attracted to this person, and therefore we're just supposed to believe that uh, the chemistry is there, but you're reading it, and the chemistry's not there? No. This author did a good job of 
showing and not just telling us that they were attracted to each other and that they felt something for each other. And so mm, that was great. Also, what I enjoyed was this angst with a happy ending. So one, so if you don't know what angst is, it's basically when you read writing where bad things happen and people are unhappy at a certain point, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm explaining this right. I'm going to look up a definition of angst. Okay, this is the definition from Fangirl Dictionary or FangirlTherapy.com. So it says angst. And this is talking about fan fiction in general, but whatever. That is fan fiction that is dark and depressing, often in which characters suffer from not being able to be together or unrequited love. And so I do enjoy angst where the characters aren't together and they're but they still want each other, but they're just not together because other things are going on. But I only like angst when there is a happy ending, like in this book. If you kill one of the characters off, don't even get me started on that. I it makes me very upset. I don't enjoy character death. Well, that's not necessarily true. I don't enjoy character death when it's a romance and it's the the story is about the two people being together, but then one of them dies. I don't like that. I do think character death is important in fantasy, sci-fi, even just uh, contemporary fiction. Character death can be very important, but when it's in the romance, I don't want one of the two main characters who are falling in love to die. So that is not what I like in angst, but this was some great angst with a happy ending because... Azari and Raphael did need to break up for this story to kind of work together because Raphael was keeping some secrets about, oh, I forgot to mention. So basically when he goes to apologize, he explains all of his secrets and basically the woman who died was his wife and she was nine months pregnant with their child and they died in a car crash and he was driving and I don't remember how the car crashed or whatever. So he's just carried around a lot of guilt. And she died three years ago. So it's been like long enough for him to grieve. But he still is sad about it. But he's able to move on with Azere and whatever. But that's part of uh, then basically at the end when she could also potentially die and lose their child. It's just kind of like, okay, you're going to put this man through this twice. But anyways, his secrets, why couldn't he just tell her? That was so frustrating because they have to break up because he's keeping all these secrets and also the fact that she's given up so much to be with him and he can't just tell her what happened three years ago he can't just get it out and I understand that it was very traumatic and grief and whatever but also if you're not going to tell your current girlfriend who is pregnant with your literal child what's going on then you lose her because she had to give up her literal mother who's not speaking to her and all this different stuff. So, mm. but yeah, they had to break up because she just couldn't trust him because he was keeping all of these different secrets. And there was a couple other like things that were tied up in that big secret that happened in the middle of the book that I just didn't mention. But yeah, it was, the angst was good. But let's talk about that love triangle. Was it a true love triangle? I'm not sure because Azari never really liked Elijah and only went on dates with him at the end of the book because of her mother and the fact that she wanted to get back into her mother's life and isn't that just so messed up that she's got to date this man just so her mom will talk to her that was really sad to read about but the love triangle I could just feel it from the beginning when he gets introduced and I'm just thankful that she wasn't really into him at all because if I had to if I had been tricked into reading an actual love triangle romance book, 
I would have screamed because I don't like love triangles for a long, long list of reasons. You can ask my roommates. They uh, know that I did not like, that I do not like love triangles at all and whatever, but I was annoyed that I got tricked into reading it, even if it was a low-key fake love triangle, but then you've got her dating him, and I'm just like, ugh, why are you going on these three dates with him? But also, I get it, so you can be back in your mom's life, but also, ugh. And I feel like a love triangle where she's not even into the other guy is just even worse than a love triangle where she's actually into both guys, because it's just like, why do I have to have this love triangle when it's not even a true love triangle and she doesn't even actually like this second guy. Somebody, I have questions. Somebody give me the answer of why. Okay, let's talk about then. So I talked about Raphael's secrets and kind of how I'm like, bruh. And I talked about his point of view and the fact that it was only in there a couple times and that's not what I like. On In the podcast interview that I was just listening to before I started recording this, the author said that she didn't originally have his point of view in there at all but then as like when she first wrote the book it wasn't in there at all but then she went back in and was adding it in a couple places and I do think that it did technically enhance the story because we can see kind of what's going on in his head and the fact we kind of know a bit more about what his secret is but also like I said I enjoy dual perspective but I'd like it to be more even than the book was probably 85% Azari's perspective, 15% Raphael's perspective, something like it's just so lopsided. And when you first get his perspective, you're like, oh my God, I get to see what he's thinking throughout this book. And then you really don't. So I, it's just, that's just one of my own personal reading preferences. Another thing in this, there was a lot of pop culture references in this book in a way that I thought was good. Oh wait. And also actual cultural references. So Let's start with the actual cultural references because I'm thinking, no, whatever. Okay, so you know when I talked about Star Daughter, how it was there was all of these Indian different mythology and also just like food and culture and stuff like that references and I wanted a glossary because I couldn't remember any of them. This was very different and I briefly touched upon it when I was recording that episode, but basically, like I said, one thing that I thought was really great was that the author says how to say Azari's name sort of in the first couple chapters so that you're saying the name correctly because that's super important. I hate when you read an entire book and then find out you don't know how to say the character's name, the main character's names, right? And then also just she talked about Nigerian clothes and food and different stuff like that in a way that stuck with you and I thought was just described very well and I didn't need a glossary to go and find out what these what it was anymore but also what a difference could have been that Star Daughter is a fantasy excuse me is a fantasy book and so you're having mythological creatures and then the creatures come back but I don't remember what they look like or what they are so that could have been part of it as well but then going to the pop culture references I listened to a booktuber once who was saying that they just hate pop culture references in novels whether that be to tv shows songs movies whatever so in this book specifically there was azari is a huge romance movie watcher and so there's a lot of references to romance movies but i thought it was done in a way that wasn't annoying if you listen to the harley merlin episodes i don't remember well i don't know which one it will be in at this point because i haven't edited those yet but i talk about how all those references are out of touch and out of time kind of like 80s 90s references when Harley is my age and I don't know any of those things 
but in here I thought it was good I thought they made sense they connected so I think pop culture references can be done well and I think this is an instance where they were done well do I think every book needs pop culture references no I don't sometimes I really enjoy books that make up their own like pop culture so they have like fake bands or fake famous people or stuff like that I kind of enjoy those but also low-key I enjoy books where one of the main characters is famous. Books where both of the main characters are famous are typically not as good, but I still do enjoy those every now and again. Also, so the uh, Jane Agaro, who's the author, if you don't remember, is also a Nigerian immigrant who moved to Canada when she was in her young teenage years slash maybe when she was also 12, something like that. And so you can really tell that, and she's Nigerian and she's Ido and all of this stuff. So like her real life you can just tell, like, the characters feel so real and you can tell because a lot of what's going on here is part of her own experience and I just thought it was really, really well written. I loved reading a book about a Nigerian immigrant and kind of the struggle. I thought what was really fabulous about this is it really describes the struggle of wanting to still be Nigerian but also not being, in this case, Canadian enough. And then how do you walk that line? when you have these two competing cultures telling you who to be, how to act, all this different stuff. I just thought it was really, really well done. I thought it spoke to that tension very beautifully. And I also thought it gave me insight into what it is like to be an immigrant, specifically about the cultural aspect of, do you have to give up your own culture? Do you have to assimilate in certain ways? Yes, you do. But how can you keep it? And how can you still make that part of you? And I just thought, I personally, obviously, um, I am not an immigrant and I have not gone through this, but I, th I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, really well written. And also, I thought that Azari was very connectable to somebody like me who does not have the same life experiences. There was a lot of things that, a lot of pieces of myself I saw in her kind of in different ways. I think the final thing we need to talk about just really briefly is her mom and I don't think I can really touch on this subject with a lot of depth or clarity. I, I can't bring anything new to light or give anything like that because I don't live that experience. My family has been in America for a long enough time that there is no immigrant mentality. There is no you need to preserve your culture mentality or anything like that. But just I've said it before and I'm saying it again now, just the fact that her mom would disown her like that is just so awful for five months to not have your mom when you're pregnant and you kind of need your mom most at that time. It was just very, very heartbreaking to read how her mom was treating her through all of that. And the scene where Azari finally stands up to her mom was just, it was really powerful. I, I really enjoyed it and you really see the growth of Azari in that moment because she's finally not allowing her mom or her promise to her deceased father to rule her life anymore and she's taking it into her own hands and she's choosing who she wants to be with and what she wants her life to be like and she's no longer going to let her parents decide what it's going to look like and I just thought that was a great scene even though her mom was a difficult character to like. I did not like her mom's character. I don't think I was meant to like it. I would love to know if anybody has been in a similar situation to this like what you think of how her mom's character was written and all that 
love to know that. I'd love to know if you are an immigrant, what you thought of this book, if you thought it was good and connectable, if you thought it kind of described your experience well, or if you thought it was totally BS, because I don't know. I would, But I want to know what you think. And uh, honestly, I could talk more and more and more about this book, but I'm trying to not, trying to keep my podcast episodes somewhere between 30 and my longest was 38 but that was my first episode so somewhere like between more like 30 and 35 minutes long even though I have gone over that and I'm currently over that who knows if I will be over that when you actually hear this but anyway so I think that's all I'm going to talk about for today I totally you guys need to read Ties That Tether by Jane Agaro it was so good I loved it a lot make sure you and also the uh, book cover is really good so you should go look it at look at it on my Instagram at I read a book once blog or go check out my website I read a book once blog.com for other cool and fun content so why don't you give my podcast a rating so people can find it on whatever podcast platform they use I'd really appreciate it if you did so because right now there's just my rating of five stars and does that really count not really no it doesn't next week I'll be talking about magic lessons by Alice Hoffman which was Another fabulous read, so definitely check that out before tuning in next week. This was I Read a Book Once, and I'll catch you guys next time.